0: I feel like I threw things into a kerfuffle. Um, that's a good word, kerfuffle. Uh, there are, words are good, right? Well, welcome first off, uh, previewers. We're thrilled that you're here. Um, we've been praying for you and uh, rejoice that you're, you're with us today. Um, I did actually wanna talk a little bit about words. Um, they're wonderful and powerful and mysterious and um, I think most people have certain words that they hate and it's fun to find out what those words are. Um, in our, in our uh, office this last week, I um, was relaying a, a story about our lunch at Loopy's this last Sunday, something our family does pretty regularly, um, and their bread loafs at Loopy's are amazing. Found out that someone in our office hates the word loaf, like they have a visceral reaction to the word loaf. And someone else said that that word's almost as bad as the word moist. So, of course, put them together, moist loaf, and the poor woman almost like went into... Um, Like, what's that, Uh, baby mode? What is that? Thank you, fetal position. Um, I don't really like the word probe. That's not a good word. Um, But there's also a nuanced beauty in words. Um, Right, you can say, I'm sad. And people understand to a degree what you're saying. But if my wife were to say, that when her father was in the hospital dying and she was in the hospital room with him and she spent four days and weekends looking out of the fourth floor window and watching people go about their daily lives and watching people drive and work and laugh and talk on the phone and that she just wanted to scream at them so that they would know that her world was turned upside down then you really understand what she's saying. And words have those powers. Words have the ability to hit our imagination to help us to understand and to see into the heart. Um, It's no mistake that Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word by which God speaks to us that we might see and more importantly, that we might understand His very heart. In the past, God spoke to us through prophets in many different ways in different times, but now... He speaks to us by his son. So, today, as um, journeyers, which we all are, and I'm not going to give you some corny thing about the journey is the goal or whatever, um, but we are, we're journeying in a land that is not our true home. And as we journey, we need to have the word of God uh, come and dwell in us and guide us and direct us. So, this morning, we're going to look back a bit to some words from the psalmist, and then we're going to look forward a bit to how Jesus. Um, sort of gives us commentary on those words. The Psalms of Ascent, um, throughout the Psalms. Oh no, that's, the Psalms of Ascent were the Psalms that the uh, the Israelites would uh, sing together as they were traveling to Jerusalem to worship God on their way to the temple. And as they were going, as a, a group, they would sing out loud the truths of the living God about His character, His nature. And this is one of those psalms. It's Psalm 121. Hear this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Gracious God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in it. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your gospel. Help us, Lord, this morning to sit in your presence, and I pray that you would speak uh, through me. Lord, be with us now by your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So as the Israelites would be um, journeying, person with a family, maybe a town, maybe an entire village, and they're on their way to Jerusalem, they sing this song of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Imagine you're making your way to Jerusalem you are moving through the desert. There's mountains before you, around you, sometimes behind you. They're beautiful, but they're dangerous. They're hard to navigate with everything from slippery paths to the potential of robbers and thieves showing up on the roads. And they're also reminders of spiritual danger because on those mountains and dotting the landscape of those hills would be the high places. Um, They would be the shrines to the false gods, to the Asherahs, to Baal and they would be dotting the landscape. And the Israelites would be reminded of the spiritual dangers that their people have so often and so frequently fallen into. And for the more creative, perhaps the more paranoid, and this probably would have been me, there is an awareness that at any moment, an attacking army or horde could come pouring over those hills and wreak havoc on your family and on your village. Point is that on their journey of faith, everywhere they looked, there was potential danger. So they ask, where does my help come from? And as they ask that, we see ourselves in that, right? We look to the world around us. We see both the physical potential for danger, and we know the spiritual danger as well, the things that call out to us, the things that want to draw our souls away from Jesus Christ. And here comes the answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And they sing of their helper, My help comes from the Lord. I will survive because the one who created the mountains themselves that I'm looking at and finding fear and danger in, he's the one that created them. And it may seem like a somewhat simple comment, he's the maker of heaven and earth. But in those five words, there holds the idea that God is the one who begins, maintains, controls, and directs everything in his creation. We see it pouring out throughout the entire Old Testament and throughout the New Testament as well. Nothing happens outside the rule of God. Every situation that we face, every danger which threatens us, is within his created realm. So we too, we're reminded, we know that our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, that he continues to maintain and control and direct everything that happens in his kingdom of which we live. And then we get uh, the maker of heaven and earth, and now we're gonna start to get a little bit more intimate, a little bit more personal. They continue to sing, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The creator is our help, but there's more. It's not just that everything happens under his rule, it's that he's actively watching over his people. He will uphold you when you stumble. He'll catch you when you fall. He'll make you sure-footed, able to walk through the mountains and through the dangers, with him watching over you. He is the one that will keep your feet on solid ground. And the reference to sleep gives us insight into the psalmist's words. Um, We look back, and Elijah basically mocks the prophets of Baal because their God apparently was sleeping and slumbering when they were trying to call him to act and bring fire down from heaven. But not the God of Israel. He's not a detached, made-up creator God. He's the Lord who watches over his people, who doesn't sleep or slumber, but whose eye and care and guidance is with every single one of his children. And we're going to find at every moment. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. God watches over us, and it's intimate. It's not just that he's the maker of creation, the redeemer of his people, but he's with his people in the here and in the now. The way the psalmist puts it, he's our shade from the sun. For travelers who are traveling under hot sun, shade is both rest and hope and the ability to go forward. But the shade that the Lord provides is not a shade that travelers have to go and find. It's a shade that comes and finds the travelers and protects them on their way. He protects us from the threats that come in broad daylight and those that threaten us under the shadows of darkness. He is as near us as our own very shadows that create shade on the earth. He is God who is with us. And then the summary, the final piece, the big one. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore the Lord will keep you from all harm. A better translation there is, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will watch over your soul. And if the soul is kept, and if the Lord is keeping my soul, then all of life is kept. Spurgeon said it so beautifully. Hear this. He said, the soul is kept from the dominion of sin, from the infection of error, from the crush of despondency, the puffing up of pride. Kept from the world, the flesh, the devil. Kept for holier and greater things. Kept in the love of God. Kept unto the eternal kingdom and glory. What can harm a soul that is kept of the Lord? Jesus echoes that when he tells the disciples, right? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Song of assent, a song of assurance of God's relationship with us, of his care for us, of his watching over us, and his protecting us. He is our keeper. But I have a personal threat, a personal fear that threatens to undo that. And here's what it is. I know that God is my Redeemer. I hear these words. I know they're true. I know his revelation. It's right. But I'm afraid of what God will allow to befall in my life. And very specifically, just being very honest, the reason I've been sitting in this, in this psalm the last two weeks is one of uh, uh, Dean Voiles did a, a devotion um, in cabinet talked about God as keeper, God is keeper. And over time, God began to reveal to me that I have this, this discord where I believe and I know that and it's true and I sense it and hunger for it and desire it in my soul. But I found that I'm also afraid of God. And specifically what I mean is I'm afraid of what he will allow to happen. He talks about keeping and protecting and watching. But I know that I don't have to look far to see great tragedy and pain that befalls God's people. I don't have to look far to see my friend Tim who lost his pregnant wife because her heart exploded in her chest. I don't have to look far to see the car accident that I drove by on Cummings Highway the other day where a little girl, a five-year-old girl died. I don't have to look far to see the dangers of the world and I know that the Lord is with me. I know that the Lord is my only hope. But Still, I have that fear. And what do I do with that? And it's where we come back to the beauty of the word. We come back to the beauty of God made flesh. It is not my prerogative to understand evil. I'm never going to. I'm a finite being and I'm not going to understand how and why God allows the things that he allows. But he says, allow instead my word and allow my word made flesh to show you how I feel about those things that you're afraid of. And so we look to scripture we look to how does Jesus interact with those things. Because when we hear God's word and we hear that the word made flesh speaks to us, it's not just in the words that he spoke, it's in every action, in every breath, in every element of his life as he walked earth, in every piece of scripture that we have of how he interacted with people and how he interacted with situations. So just three, three pictures. In Luke chapter seven, Jesus has been with the disciples and they've been in Capernaum and they interact with a a centurion who has this amazing faith that blows Jesus away. And the scripture tells us they came into this little town called Nain. And as they're coming up to the gate, there's a funeral procession coming out. And they're carrying a dead body of a little boy. And it's the little boy of a mother who's a widow. And it says that Jesus' heart went out to her and he tells her, don't worry. And he goes over, and he commands the boy to get up, and then he reunites the mother and her son. He's with her, physically. He has compassion on her, his heart goes out to her. He comforts her, and then he acts. And in his action, he makes right the wrong. Another, um, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus's cousin John the Baptist, is beheaded. And when Jesus hears the news, he goes out to a lake and he gets in a boat and he rolls out, rows out to be solitary and alone, to be with the Father in prayer. But as he's out there, he sees these crowds coming on the shore, and Scripture says that he had compassion on them. So he rows in, and he heals their' sick. Again, he's with them. In his own pain, he went to those who had need. He has compassion on them in their sickness. His heart goes out to them, and again, he acts. He heals, and he makes right the wrong. And there, you've got two of my greatest fears. My two daughters. Every time I drive Cummings Highway, I think about my daughters driving. Every time I hear about a child lost, I think about my daughters. Every time I hear about tragedies, I think about my daughters with them, compassion on them, and he rights the wrong. And the third one, Lazarus' death, the death of a friend. When he goes out, uh, after waiting until Lazarus has been in the grave four days, Mary reaches the place where Jesus was. She falls at his feet. Lord, if you'd been here, you could have done something. But when Jesus sees her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, grim in spirit, um, In in the Greek, there's a sense of anger. He's angry at what has befallen because of the wreckage of the fall. Say, come and see, Lord. Come and see where he is. And Jesus weeps. And then we know he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. A picture of him coming up out of the grave after three days inside. Again, he's with them. He went to them in their grief. He has compassion on them. He's deeply moved. And he acts. He reverses death and makes right the wrong. And there, God speaks to us. We see the dangers of the world. We know what's possible. And while he says, I've never promised you that you won't experience tragedy and that you won't be wrecked by the fall, but when it does happen, here's what I do promise. Promise to be with you. Know that my heart will be breaking for you. And I will also make right the wrong. The reality is that many of those wrongs being made right will have to wait until the last day when he comes back, when he returns to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. But when the world threatens to undo us, when it threatens to undo our hearts and our souls, when we are tempted to not call out to the Lord, our maker, as our watcher, our protector, our shade, the God who is with us, the one who keeps our souls in all things. We need to remember that he is the one who made it. He's the creator God. He guides our steps. He doesn't ever sleep. He watches over us like shade for the sun. He keeps our souls from evil. And when the fall does wreck us, he's with us. When Jesus went to the cross in our place, paying the price for our sin that we never could, taking the punishment of hell upon himself, rising from the grave and ascending to heaven, sending Holy Spirit to indwell us and make us his own, his own children, fulfilling promises, did all of that because he loves us. And he will not leave us here that we might suffer the slings of the world by ourselves. He will enter into it with us, comforting us, and making right the wrongs. That's my hope. That is our hope. And that is the gospel. Praise God. Let's pray. Hmm. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs of the psalmists that call us to remember who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the word made flesh, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, in whom our hope lies. Father, I pray that as we look to the world around us, as we see the potential dangers and pitfalls, as we fear that which might befall us and the ones that we love, pray, Father, that you will remind us who you are, that you will help us to trust in your good grace and mercy, and that we might find comfort for you both in joy and in sorrow. Lord, be with us today, I ask, by your Spirit and in Christ's name. Amen.